Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with... Oh man, that sounded really patronising. Tea with Alice. I'm Alice Fraser. This is Tea with Alice. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Elf Lyons, who was nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award this year. And she's an incredible act. She's a sort of a clown act. She's doing a show in Adelaide at the moment, which if you're in Adelaide, you should go see. It's called Swan, and it's a one-hour, one-woman version of Swan Lake in French. And it's hilarious, and it was nominated for an award. So do go along and see that if you can. We had a really interesting conversation in an outdoor cafe. You might hear some buses going past at various times, so if that kind of sound interference bothers you, it doesn't bother me. I quite like a bit of ambiance, so I didn't edit out the buses driving past. But if that bothers you, uh, I do apologise. And you can send me an email about it at alicerfraser at gmail.com and we can have a chat. Or you can send me a message on my Patreon platform, uh, patreon.com slash alicefraser. Thank you to everybody who has been contributing there. Especially in this last week when I've been you know, up against the wall with this show just trying to get something done and not being sure if I'm able to do it. Having that kind of, I mean, just all of the support, the, the emails, tweets, everything nice that anyone has said, the fact that there are people who subscribe to my platform, that kind of concrete support is makes a massive difference to my sense of my ability to achieve the ridiculously ambitious show that I'm trying to achieve. So uh, thank you very much for that. Um, so with Elf, I, I talked with her about AA, economics, veganism, imposter syndrome, queer rights, and uh, we. I, I think you'll enjoy listening to it. If you can get over the occasional bus going past, it was Clipsal Weekend in Adelaide. This was the quietest place we could find. Um, and I will put out another much more sealed bubble cocoon studio type in the next few days uh, to make up for the gap. So thank you very much again for listening. I will see you next week. Email me, say hello to me. Tweet me at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E and come and see my show in Adelaide. Two more weeks in Adelaide and then I will be in, in Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, London and Edinburgh. So um, I hope to see you somewhere in the world. You're having tea with Alice. Uh, who are you and what are you drinking? What am I drinking? I'm drinking black coffee because I'm attempting to be vegan and I'm four months into my sobriety. Wow. So I don't drink alcohol anymore. But I'm still fun. I feel like I have to keep on telling people that I'm fun now. Yes. Because people just don't, if you say you don't drink, they go, oh. Well, I don't have that problem because I hate fun. I'm not, I'm not fun. <laughs> That's an You're easy too busy thing changing me. the world with your comedy <laughs> and your important meanings of your yeah. work. Like oh you were God, saying last it's so night. worthy. So worthy. I can't stand it. Um, what have you been wrestling with recently? It's probably, oh God, just my imposter syndrome constantly of waking up and going, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Do I deserve to be where I am? Probably drinking and, I mean, Edinburgh. I don't want to do Edinburgh this year but why don't you but you feel you have to because you got nominated yeah I'm just worried about the wind yeah um, I, I'll cover it I feel like yeah I really didn't want to do Edinburgh this year I wanted to have a year off I really cause was that the plan before you got nominated 
I think it, I, I think the dream was to have a year off or just you hope because you work so hard and you think maybe just one thank you and oh just to just to have a month off where I can go somewhere else that isn't Scotland in yeah. August but no I am going You're I have signed that deal with the devil and I will be going to Edinburgh and I will have a great time so you've, you've decided to go vegan. How long have you been doing that for? Literally probably about a month. Not that long at How all. How are you finding it? Is it ethical reasons or health reasons? I think both? it's more sustainable with our increase. Of, so I've been reading a lot about economics because my new show is about economics. So, and my dad's an economist and I love being close to him and knowing more about it. But I was reading about Malthus and about the surplus population. He coined the idea of the dismal science. Yeah. Or that's what people nicknamed him for because he was just saying there are too many people in the world we're not going to have enough food for everyone it's going to be difficult and I was thinking ah he'd probably be very pro-veganism because you can feed so many more people with on a far cheaper rate using just vegetables and the land rather than you know the amount of energy it takes to breed a cow feed a cow water a cow and then slaughter a cow to what to feed how many people I don't think it's economically the most viable has it, option. has it changed your self-perception? Because veganism seems to be something that people adopt with like the fervour of an ideolog- ideological sort of religious yeah. fervour. So that, that Everyone's really woke who's vegan. It tends to, every time you meet, there's always that assumption that if you're vegan, you tend to have a beard and go for artisanal coffee. Yes. You know what I mean? It comes along with that. I just, I'm more aware how everyone seems to be slowly either becoming vegetarian or vegan. Because uh. now it's less something to mock because so many people like I remember veganism always used to be an easy punchline to make at comedy gigs because only two people in the audience would be vegan yes well and they sort of had painted a target on themselves by being proselytizing or making people feel ashamed of themselves and there's nothing that you want to lash out at more than somebody who makes you feel ashamed of yourself saying hi I'm vegan but now it's just yeah I feel so boring talking about it. It's just, I'm also on a selfish perspective. I just feel so much better. Yeah, health-wise. I I just feel so much better. I'm eating so much. Because also going alongside the alcohol, because once I quit alcohol, because I go to AA, and one of the things was, you know, people quit alcohol and they say, I'm going to quit alcohol, I'm going to quit coffee, I'm going to quit sugar, I'm going to quit meat, and they try and do everything at once. They try and build up the cards and then the cards tumble and then they muck up and they feel ashamed and they go straight back to drinking again. And I thought, right, I'm drinking. Well, I'm quitting drinking. Great. That's the main goal. Don't beat myself up about biscuits. Yeah. Don't beat myself up about how much Ferrero Rocher I'm eating. Don't beat myself up about coffee. I'm now really comfortable in not drinking and going out and being around people drinking. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to give up coffee. I can't, I find it really hard to just quit chocolate or sugar. What is a more proactive way of becoming more healthy? And I thought veganism, take it up rather than give something up. You know? Yeah, you, you, it's some, it makes you feel more in control yeah. than, than losing control over something. Yeah, and so since taking veganism up, and I've had slips, like occasionally, you know, you eat something with dairy in it by accident, but... I mean, I'm not. You can't beat yourself up about it. It's just one day at the time. Yeah, I mean, that is that's really interesting. How have you found AA? And if you want to tell the story, why did you decide to quit drinking? Was it a big? It was because thing? of Edinburgh. Edinburgh, with after getting the nomination, it was a real whirlwind. It was so overwhelming. I had real imposter syndrome. I didn't know how to deal with it. 
some people reacted to it like it, it was the happiest day of my life in so many ways as a career move to get that phone call and be told you'd be nominated and I was with Andrew O'Neill and I remember ringing my dad and my mum and I could tell that my dad was crying because he was so happy because I genuinely thought the show was always going to be a hard sell and nobody had been coming to see Swan and so I was just like right I've made but I've made a show I'm proud of and nobody's going to get it because it's a silly clown show but okay and the nomination happened and that was so exciting but with it loads of negatives came at once suddenly people were some people weren't talking to me. Some people were really rude. Really? Like, yeah, it was interesting. People who I'd never spoken to before were suddenly like, oh my God, Elf, how are you? And I'm like, you've always ignored me at comedy gigs. Why are you, why are you chatting to me now? And I think with that, the, the assumption that I was, should be celebrating, I, got, I was drinking a lot. Not to, you know, I wasn't drinking in the morning. I was just drinking after my show. But you see, you see comedians, you see performers where co drinking was like an affectation it was like a charming part of their persona and then it became their job and then it became their character and now when you think of drink you immediately think of that comedian yeah and and then you see how their comedy gets affected by it and with every with all the stress and the like imposter syndrome and the anxiety that came i thought drinking is making this probably worse and i do not want to yeah, you don't want to go down that path. I don't want to rely on it. So I started going to AA. And, uh, and it's just been the best thing. Because there was that habit of going, oh, well, I'll have one day off, and then I'll have one day on. And I'll have one day off and one day on. And that's fine. I'll have four days a week sober, and then it'll be three days a week sober. And, uh, you know, I had two days, but I was only having, like, a glass of wine. But you don't do that with food or washing. You don't do controlled... This idea of controlled drinking, I think, is probably a myth that we put on ourselves. You shouldn't need to control it. It should just be something that happens that you don't stress about. So the fact I was trying to control my drinking yeah. is a suggestion. You should quit drinking. Yeah, that is. And how do you find AA? Is it? Is oh my it god, I love it. I love it so much. Some is people it not don't. Culty? I've heard. I mean, I've heard that, but I don't. I don't know. It's. I don't think it's. I mean, there are some people who think their world is AA, but my experience is you turn up, you get tea and a biscuit. Everyone is very friendly because everyone's been in a similar place. There's no judgment. Everybody talks about what's gone on in their lives. Doesn't have to be AA related. You just share. And and someone talks about their experiences with alcohol. And it feels like how Facebook should be. <laughs> like, it's how like somebody somebody can share for two minutes and nobody at any point goes. I disagree. I agree. Oh, here's the link to a Guardian article I haven't read, but I got angry by. You know. Yeah. So I feel like that's literally what Facebook is. It's just people posting articles that they read the headline of, yeah. skim like the first paragraph, and haven't looked into anything else. Yeah. Or often not realise that it was published a year ago. Yes. That happens all the time on the BBC website, and it drives me insane. Yeah, I w I've been tempted to write an article that contradicts itself in the second half of the article just to see if anybody yeah. reads all the way through. I don't but think people do. I really don't think people do. I remember publishing, like my dad wrote a book about, uh, like a small thing about why he thinks I thought we should vote to leave the EU a really small nice I thought smart little summary of the other argument that I thought a lot of my friends might not be hearing in the run up to the referendum and I shared it on Facebook I said guys here's this book my short book my dad wrote if anyone's interested or got another opinion and I put it on and within a second someone had written um wrong what's his opinions on the EU's uh um uh 
pregnancy laws and their laws to do with nurses and minimum wage or something like that within something of like a very specific niche question which is obviously with value but I'm re- and it was so attacking within less than a minute of me posting the article uh, the book up online I thought well one you haven't read it yet you haven't even looked at it my dad's talking about the economic viewpoint mm. why are you getting so aggressive on an online medium you're one of my friends why don't you just ring me up yeah like one of the yeah that's the one of the weirdest things about this online thing it that I don't know whether it existed in the culture before or whether it has happened and been been sort of cultivated by the online interaction but this thing where people where even entertaining the opposition like when I used to do like at school debating you'd often be assigned a position that you didn't hold yeah because it was interesting to engage like that's an interesting intellectual exercise it works in a number of ways either you'll be convinced by their arguments which is an interesting process or you'll marshal better arguments than you had in your head at the moment if you just have a vague feeling that it's wrong hearing their argument will help you build a counter argument yeah but people are just absolutely not willing to do the thought experiment of putting themselves in somebody else's shoes like they're like it's insulting to even ask a question it's what really annoys me especially because i think people in london are so incredibly privileged um especially i think on the performing circuit you've got to remember we are doing we are doing one of the most amazing jobs in that we get to do something that we love, that we loved when we were a child, that was seen as an extracurricular exercise, and we get to be listened to. We also have the authority to shout people down if they disagree with us. We have been given a platform. And we forget in London how multicultural and how dynamic it is, how wealthy it is, despite the fact there are small suburbs that are some of the poorest in the whole of the UK. But overall... It is unlike anywhere else in the UK. And so when people were saying things like, oh, anyone who voted against the EU is racist, anyone who voted to leave is racist, they're uneducated, they're this, they're these working class, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, I thought really classist. I was like, have you travelled around the UK? Have you travelled to areas like Lancaster or other areas, you know, where there is very high unemployment, where there's a lot of homelessness, where there are areas where people... They're not as multicultural and as dynamic as where you're from. And they are genuinely more afraid about things. There are some things that are affecting them head on that you haven't even considered. It yeah. doesn't mean they're right and wrong or you're right and wrong, but, but just the, get it, your head out your bum. There's also this hypocrisy in it in that you're asking them to see your point of view, mm-hmm. to experience, to put themselves in your shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the whole, the core of the left is saying, yeah. I can see myself in somebody else's yeah. shoes. Uh, so I want you to imagine what it would be like to be a refugee. Yeah, that's th- that's the argument really for letting refugees in. Is imagine yeah. if you were a refugee. Yeah. but also at the same time, I refuse to imagine what it would be like to be you, you bigoted yeah. person, because to imagine being a bigot would be to pollute my soul in some yeah. way. That's a real purity argument. Is like, that a thing you were talking about yesterday about that sense of uh, microbacterial wellness? What was the thing that you said so? <laughs> probiotic uh, wellness. Probiotic wellness. Just feeling like, oh, you're just a good person. You can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to be homophobic or what it must be like to live in a small area where you don't see anyone of a different colour. Or, you know... Yeah... Uh, I don't quite have the words to describe, but you'd come across these people all the time. And it, like you said with your grandmother calling them the nice facts. I love that story so much. But it's, it's actions speak louder than words, I they think, do. a lot of the time. And words, like an ex partner of mine was uh, mixed race, and it was really interesting the, uh, 
the way people would speak to him when we'd go out. Like he was from Oxford, born and bred, and people from Ireland would meet, or this was one occasion, they met him, had a, we had this lovely chat, and then he said, oh, by the way, your English is really good, mate. Yeah. And they meant it as a compliment, they meant it in a really nice way, but they hadn't even considered, what do you mean his English is really good, mate? He lives in the UK, he's, yeah. he's English. Yeah. They just assumed he must not, he, it was his second language, he'd come from somewhere else. Yeah, and they haven't, they haven't used any bad words in that. It's just the attitude itself. Yeah. Like, I feel like words are the tips of the twigs on a tree, yeah. right? And, and you're trying to pull the tree down by changing the twigs. Yeah. Whereas the problem with a word is not that the word itself is awful. It's not toxic. The, it's mm. just syllables. It's yeah. that it draws attention. It reminds you, as an oppressed person or as a vulnerable person, it reminds you that you are in a position in society. Yeah. But the solution shouldn't be stop reminding them that there's a problem. Yeah. The solution should be to try and fix the problem. Yeah. And of course it's not an either or situation, but it just, it just seems like there's a lot of energy being sp pushed onto the lever at the wrong point of the lever. And it's also things like I'm offended when people say I'm offended. All right, do you genuinely think that what that person has said can cause harm? Mm. Or do you feel uncomfortable on someone else's behalf, on the behalf of someone that you don't know? Have you chosen to be offended because you think that's the right thing to do? Because that's just as wrong and an incorrect way of handling an issue. Like in comedy gigs when people are challenging an idea and they go, I'm offended. You're like, are you really? Like, has that genuinely caused you? Are you trying to perform the idea of a good person? Yeah, my brother talks about this a lot, about deliberately putting the most malicious interpretation you can on somebody's words. Mm. So if they're your enemy in your eye, in your mind, mm -hmm. they've, they've said something careless, you mm. don't go, oh, well, that was a slip of the tongue. Maybe I'll have a chat with them about it. You assume immediately that the worst possible motive, yeah. the worst possible person, the worst, you know. So I'm on the LGBT plus committee for equity. And I mean, it's always been a huge part of my life the queer community and being a part and you know gigging and running gigs for that and I would never ever I'd hate the idea that I would genuinely cause damage or harm to any community and this joke I talk about when I came out is gay to my mum and dad or bisexual but I prefer the term queer I've always preferred that word and and the joke well it's just it's true but I said to my mum oh, I'm queer and she said well, what does that mean I said well I have relationships with men and women she goes, well, I'm, I'm queer then, and your dad's queer, and everyone, um, your granny's queer. And I said, no, but I mean, I have sex with men and women. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, no wonder you're so tired. And, you know, <laughs> with performance, that can be a funny joke. That is and a I funny did that joke. joke several times, and I got accused on Twitter from people who'd seen it saying that I was being transphobic because I was refusing to acknowledge trans people in that. I was only. And then I was thinking, yeah, well, that's because I don't if someone's transitioning from male to female then I consider them the sex that they are transitioning to you know and it's not about gender it's about sex and you have two sexes you have men and female yeah you have a, a small community of intersex people yeah, but that's but a like, very it's small it's like 0.11% yeah. I think it's like and they said you're transphobic you're transphobic so and, and it was bizarre because it turns out the person who was always accusing me of this was actually at comedy gigs and I'd met her and I didn't realise she was this person on Twitter. And it was this bizarre moment of going, you could just talk to me in person 
and I can explain to you why I keep it as men and women. But due to the fact it happened so often, like from these same people, I changed it to, and I now say men and women and everyone in between. Yeah. Because of just I safeguarding myself. I've I've had a really I've you know I've been around. I've never checked the background of all my partners. <laughs> I'm going. What sex were you before? But. Oh man, I mean, there's so many buses going past. I feel like we should step in somewhere more quiet. Yeah. That's all right. The listeners will understand. Yeah, they'll but understand that. You know, we're you know we're in the city. Do you feel you said before like a number of times that you felt imposter syndrome mm. about getting nominated? What what? How did that manifest? Crying, not feeling like I deserve to be happy. <laughs> like genuinely feeling. Josh Glance said it to me yesterday. He went, you know, when you talk about other comedians and you say, oh, they were nominated, you like put real, you really praise people for their success, but yet you totally undermine your own. He said, you deserve, you should be really proud about what you've achieved. But it feels so wrong. It yeah. feels so wrong to, and that in itself is perverse. Like I should, I mean, I should still be like jizzing about what happened in August. Because it's such a cool thing. Such a cool thing. That'll be on your posters forever. Yeah, it's a cool... And it's just the fact that it was with... In the lineup. I got to stand, you know, meet Hannah Gadsby and chat to her. And, you know, it was, it was a lovely thing of one day doing the show. I think it was in the first week. And Hannah was there and Zoe Coombs-Ma were there on the second row. And they were laughing at all the jokes. And they stayed around afterwards say, to say how much, how much they loved it. And, I mean, this is, these are comedians I look up to. Yeah. Liking my work. It's just the coolest thing in the world. And yeah, then getting that, re- that, uh, that recognition from the industry, as it were, I couldn't... It couldn't just, accept it. Because it was too... It was so public. I was like, well, this seems... And telling people now, I was trying to explain to the guys I'm staying with, they went, so what's this Edinburgh Comedy Award? And I was trying to explain what it was. They went, oh, so it is a big deal. But I was like, yeah, but I mean, you know, loads of people don't get it and they deserve to, who are very, very, like, it's just a small group. Like, it's really not represent. You know, I was just naturally. Well, think about it like this then. If if you had won the lottery and people were congratulating you on winning the lottery, like... You would accept their yeah. congratulations. Yeah, you just go, you're yeah. Just, you're lucky. You're also, in this instance, it's more than the lottery because you actually have to reach a certain level of skill to even be considered yeah. for it. And then you can blame it on politics or, you know, the fact yeah. that other people weren't considered. But again, like, you're still happy. It's still a great thing. Yeah, it's cool. I would wish it, that feeling I had when I got the call, I'd wish it on everyone because it was the coolest I actually hurt my vocal cords from laughing so much. I was so like, I need to stop saying like, but I was so overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing. One of the, no one ever gets, not that I know, there's very few people who've ever been nominated who I don't think they deserve it. Hmm. There's people who I think deserve it who don't get nominated. But that doesn't change. Doesn't change it for the people who do. It's just one of the things, isn't it? It's like any award ceremony or anything at school or the prize for best math student. And you're always like, oh, did Rosemary deserve to get it? But Karen's done really well and she's dyslexic. Like, there's always going to be those background things. But Yeah, I think it would be really interesting to have, like, to do a documentary or to investigate the process that the judges do. Yeah. Because it's one of those things that seems like it's, you know, being touched by God to a certain extent. But I think what it is is, you know, there's a general consensus about who's in the running. Yeah. And then the politics kicks in. Yeah. Of, you know, someone wants a a woman, someone wants 
they, this person who's been working for years, they, they, they deserve it, they've put the miles in. You know, all of that stuff is, is then sort of complicated and obscure and mysterious yeah. and not at all transparent. Yeah. I have no idea because in my head I still remember doing the first show and on the second show eight people and the show after that six people and thing and then the guy who was sort of working with me went well yeah well a one woman production of Swan Lake in an hour in French it's it's a tough sell and I said yeah yeah it is probably I should, probably should have done a stand up show about politics should have done something more but I really just I just wanted to be silly because if yeah, we're, we're the ones we're, yourself, we're right? the ones investing all the money like I walked away from Edinburgh two grand in debt like I'm one of the winners apparently yeah <laughs> that festival I think Marx would roll in his grave if he saw it or like Adam Smith it's so funny you know like all these comedians like all these performers left liberal elite going ah shouting down the right wing and the posh middle classes and shouting down, and yet you're competing against each other you are in the perfect example of capitalism like yeah. you are absolutely exemplifying why it works and how it works and how it fails and yeah. where it fails because all of us have to do it we are like the workers that Marx was talking about in that we are stuck in this rabbit run of every year going we have to do Edinburgh yeah because we have to show the industry and but we rely on the industry. There's this invisible sort of um, unquantifiable economic that runs alongside the financial economics of the thing. Mm. In that, as you say, you came out of the thing £2,000 in debt and yet you're one of the winners. Yeah. And on this sort of parallel scale, you are the winner. You have, yeah. you know, you have succeeded. You've got the most value out of this... Uh, transaction. It's that funny thing in terms of knowledge, like the knowledge economy, the creative economy, the financial economy. In terms of experience, in terms of accolades, yeah, I'm smashing it. It's yeah. really cool. I mean, the Times didn't like it. They got gave me two stars, which I think is funny. I got but the it, Scotsman had loathed mine. Oh, I pulled yeah. the quote from them that said confusing. <laughs> yeah, my mine was an ordeal. Amazing. And I think actually I quite like that an ordeal. Yeah. But Put it, it on your poster, I did. You can't, you can't make everyone happy, and it's nice that we don't, because otherwise that would be so torturously dull. But, yeah, I, you know, doing Fringe World and getting shortlisted for the Fringe uh, World Best Comedy Show Award with, you know, the five that got shortlisted, because they nominate lots, and then I don't really know how it works, but found out, oh, you've been shortlisted. And I was like, great, that's cool. A festival I've never done before. I got nominated on the first night of the show and people have liked it and the word is spread. How much money did I lose at Perth? $4,000. Because I, on average, sold about five tickets a day and I had to, and eventually word spread, but I had to do rush ticks. I had to slice the, you know, I had to rely on artist passes and discount tickets to get people in. Yeah. And yet... And that's the irony, isn't it? And then you get mentioned in the advertiser here as a show to look out for. And I'm currently looking at my watch thinking, I sold two tickets today? Complimentary. It's part of like some sort of promotional scheme. But I'm in Australia and I'm getting to perform. I'm not drinking. I'm surrounded by friends. I get to do really fun things like this. But I yesterday had to give in. I had to send my flatmates an email saying, guys, I'm going to have to move out of London because I, I can't afford to live in London anymore with the cost of, of Edinburgh this year. Wow. Where will you move? I'm moving back in with my mum and dad. 
amazing. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, my dad was like, it's a really bad decision. You shouldn't move home. It, and my mum was like, fantastic, you're coming home. And I was thinking, well, you know, we've all, we can't be ashamed of this anymore because we live in a society now where it's not possible for our generation. That motorcyclist agrees. That's why he's cycling yeah, off. He does. We're here on Clipsal weekend. We're sitting outside a cafe. Uh, and Clipsal is the Adelaide 500, yeah. 5000. I keep on calling it the Calippo, which yeah. is really funny, actually, because I keep on forgetting it's not called that, but I keep on calling it the Clippo, and guys keep on going, it's not the Calippo. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a race. It's a motor race. And yesterday I was trying to record audio for my show because it's got a lot of robot voice cues in it, and uh, people were doing low-altitude flyovers <laughs> just all day. I think that's part of the whole thing that sort of that jet jet noise everyone's wearing a red bull t-shirt so much corporate sponsorship so much so much sponsorship and so uh i'm apologizing to my audience for the audio quality of this podcast but there is nowhere quiet in adelaide at the moment yeah there's nowhere except maybe my audience (laughs) (laughs) if acts turn up it's fine i'll always do it for my always like two people turned up in perth and i said do you want to do it and they were like yeah and i was like okay we'll do the show so i did the bra trick to two people Amazing. A couple, because my logic was, how much of a journey have they made to come see the show? And they'd come in by train. I was like, they might have gotten a babysitter. They've parked their car somewhere. They, their time has been put aside to see my show. Yeah. So I will do the show. Because besides energy, which the show does take out, I'd, I'd always rather do the show than not. Yeah, I think that's... And that's the weird sort of compulsion of comedian. Do you ever feel co- the compulsion when you're at AA to make it funny, the bits where you're talking? So, oh, yeah, sometimes. But actually, you realise, I found out that you... <laughs> it's funny because you know, there's gallows humour in AA. Mm. And I've, I only, I've only gotten laughs in the, when I'm genuinely just... Because I go by my real name when I go to AA. I don't say, it's my, I don't say oh, my name's Elf. I'm like, oh, my name's Emily Ann and I'm an alcoholic. And everyone goes, hello, Emily Ann. They laugh at the more honest. They, you laugh at the honest things. You laugh because uh, of the things that you share with everyone, the genuine experiences, rather than the silly stuff. Nobody wants to show off in AA. It's great. I'd highly recommend anyone go just to if you've got a concern because it's such a safe space, and I've made so many amazing friends through it. And there's lovely meetings here, and it's been great to meet pe- other people who don't drink here at Perth and Adelaide. That's, yeah, that's a very valuable thing to sort of have a built-in community. Yeah. Alongside comedy. Yeah, so, so important, those families that we build for ourselves. Because your parents and your your relatives can't always do that for you with what we do. No, because you're all over the place. Yeah, and you can't, you know, here, 10 hours behind, we can't just ring our friends, you know, at home and say, oh, it's horrible. Yeah. We've got to find these other ways of looking after ourselves. Yeah, it was it. I had my opening night of my show last night and I was reading off a, a script and you know, it's that thing of first night is always going to be that level of unprepared. I wish yeah. I was the person who had the whole thing done and completed and n- yeah. screwed down a week before it was, mm. but I, that's not how I work. The way that I work is the opening show is a nightmare and then it gets better from there. Yeah. But just walking out of that and having people say, oh, how did it go? And and me saying, well, it was terrible. And they're like, but it's a show now, right? Yeah, you know, it's just a show. They You've done a show. It's a ver- and it is such a strange thing to do. Listen to me for an hour. Let me take you on a journey. 
Yeah. So you've got to almost go to the innocence of it. Of You know, when you're little, you put a play on. You go, yeah. I'm going to do a play. My play is the best play. And you never in your head as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, think you're being selfish or self-involved. You naturally are because you're a child. But you're putting a play on because you think it's the best play and you're doing it for your family because you love them. And, and you, you think they'll be entertained. Yeah. And you have to go, that's exactly what we're doing now. I mean, that's a very clown thing to say. That's, that comes from the clown philosophy a little bit. Probably, yeah. Which yeah, is, probably. I'm not, that's, not, I'm not, that's not a negative. That's no, not it's me all right. dissing you. But I, I, I sort of recognise that as, as something about the joy and innocence of childhood, which I think I lack in my yeah. shows. It's a nice way of making theatre, I think. Because I call comedy theatre, because th- what we're doing is a spectacle. Yeah. Like you were talking about worthiness. I don't, I try not to go in making a point. I remember when I did Pelican, which was my show about my relationship with my mum. And the whole point at the end was talking about the love-hate relationships with the, we have with our parents. It was also me talking about my desire to be a mum. And my, like I talked about having a miscarriage in it, which was sort of the 45-minute sad bit. Because the reason I wanted to talk about it is that nobody talks about miscarriage at all especially no. and it's so common and I thought it would be a good thing to mention as a young woman on stage saying these things happen but emotionally it was knackering it was exhausting I didn't enjoy the show I wasn't having fun with it and I thought is my emotional enjoyment is my emotional energy worth exhausting for the sake of this five minute bit when I say talking about miscarriage is important I thought no so next year I'm going to do a Swan Lake in an hour because I've always wanted to do that. And there's no political point that I'm trying to make. If there is, it comes out naturally or by chance, but it's being silly for silly's sake. Yeah, I admire that immensely. I find that extremely difficult. I'm, I've, the way that I was brought up or something about the way I am, I always feel like I have to be useful. But you studied in law, like your education, you've seen so many dark and you know you've seen all the different aspects of the human condition in your work and also from your family upbringing you're talking about being raised buddhist and like living with your was it your grandmother in the house with all those people from different parts of the world yes yeah like i mean it makes complete sense why you do a show and be a bit more analytical going but why why am i doing this well i was brought up in a world of i studied theater my whole life and i was brought up by an artist uh, you know, and my dad's an economist, and he's just he all he loves is economics. That's all he likes to talk about is economics. And so, anytime I'd go, but I need to do something to prove my wife, he'd go, No, but you like doing comedy, so just do comedy. And then I'd just see loads of shows, and I go, I like the bright colors and the sparkly lights. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I just, I guess it's the thing that makes me happy is, is thinking about stuff and unpacking ideas yeah. and, and well, if making that makes things you complicated happy. when they're. Not there when they don't need to be. But that's important. If it makes you happy and the audience see that you're happy and you're happy doing it, then it's great. Yeah. It's only when we see that you're not happy doing it that's when it f- that's when it's wrong. Well, it's that fascinating thing of where you're coming from. That's why the show is called Ethos yeah. because it's the first of the three Aristotelian rhetoric like principles. <laughs> this is going right over my head, but yeah, so, cool. So basically, everything, every kind of conversation or every performance is is persuasive most speech is trying to persuade you of something with mm-hmm. comedy it's they're trying you're trying to every joke is trying to persuade someone that it's funny mm-hmm. right uh, aside from any other point and you need three fundamental things for that you have ethos logos and pathos ethos mm-hmm. is who you are mm-hmm. talking to them who they are your relationship and that's why all you know 
all comedians either explicitly by saying, let me tell you a bit about myself, or implicitly by their mm. affect, will position themselves. Because otherwise, why should you care no. Why what they're saying and why should you be convinced by what they're saying? So who you are and who, what your position is as a person is sort of fundamental to any mm. kind of conversation. And that's kind of what this show is about, as well as being about a robot. But <laughs> As well as being about well, a robot. About, can a robot be a person sort of thing? Mm. If a company can be a person, why not a robot? There's so much about robots as well in technology and time. I mean, that, what, that scary robot that said that she wants to have, be a mother one day. Yeah. Blech. Blech. <laughs> you say as somebody who's done a show about wanting to be a mother one day. Yeah, it's, but it's interesting that a, a robot, a creature that's been created by other people, has been conditioned or been led to think. That's what I find. Blech. Yeah. You know, because part of my desire to be a mother is the fact I was brought up surrounded by women getting pregnant and being told that that's what women do and that's what biologically we're meant to do. And for biological reasons and marketing reasons, I've gone, yes, I would really like to make a baby. But that robot that has come from nothing that doesn't have any desire, like necessit- necessity to produce, yeah. has been built and made and given. Uh, what they're called outside things to absorb to make it think I would like to have a bit like not gone oh I'd like to build this or I'd like to do that or I'd like to make other robots I'd like to be a mother I find that really interesting that as a female robot that is what it's been because I wonder if the male robot would have thought the same yeah or if the male robot would say oh yeah I want to have sex with a lot of robots and not have children yeah Uh, what is it just feeding through stereotypes or so through creating artificial intelligence, will we just be enhancing future prejudice? Yes, this is one of the issues that they're coming across now with um, predictive text, for example, because yeah. they just it just uh, takes pr- pr- previously existing text to build its database yeah. of associations so that when you type a word, it says what's the most likely word to come next, going on histo- yeah. history. But that leads to these outcomes, like, for example, if you say doctor, the next likely word is he... Yeah. If you say nurse, the next likely word is she, you know, and, and then that gets more complicated when you get into racial stereotypes because it will just reproduce what exists already. So the question for the people who are programming this kind of predictive yeah. text stuff is whether they replicate that or whether they build their own mm. biases in to kind of make it be like the doctor they rather than the doctor he. Yeah. Ugh. And who, if they're allowed to do that, if they're allowed to control for that stuff, they're not elected like they're not they're just people they don't Mm. have but they have so much responsibility for how we think about language how we're speaking I just think it's fascinating it is fascinating it's also one of those things that just before doing my show I'm like oh wow there's so many things to consider why why do I now need to put a parrot costume on just shout in French (laughs) what is the time I've got to we should go I should let you go Um, thank you so much tell people about your show this will go up tonight oh will it oh that's great that's organised disorganised I didn't do one last week so I've started I've started a podcast and I'm still getting to grips with the volume and I I only done two episodes it's very like run of the mill and my mum went I could only listen to the first two minutes and then I thought it was intolerable What's the premise of the podcast? Oh, it's just, uh, uh, you come do it. It'll be great. It's just you chat about the dream, your dream film. And all you have to do is make the soundtrack to the film. And I ask you about what happens in the film during the soundtrack. Because I think it's a fun way of looking at music. Yeah. Building an imaginary film around the songs. 
That's brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to come do that. Uh, your show is called The Swan? It's called Swan. Just Swan. Just Swan at the producers at Half Seven. And it is a one-woman production of Swan Lake. And then you'll have shows in the UK and... And then I'm doing it stuff. all around the UK. And then my new show, Chiff Chaff, which is a one-woman musical about the economy. I'm going to take to Edinburgh and I am really looking forward to it despite the fact I've stated that I'm not looking forward to Edinburgh I am looking forward to Edinburgh now that I know I'm going yes because you know once you know you're doing something I mean a one woman musical about the economy sounds like the perfect show to me I th- I'm really excited about it I'm really excited and I tour from Spy Monkey I'm flying out to Bilbao in Spain for a week I'm going to do a one week intensive because he is a really great director and sometimes you just need outside people to push you in certain directions to really spunk you up for your new show oh that's brilliant I look forward to seeing it uh, Elf Lions thank you so much for having tea thank with me thank you for me. having me bye Lolly rifle doll, lolly 